0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode seven hundred fifty-one, for Monday, March fourth,
1: twenty nineteen. Ah, Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. The show where we take your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, more tips, our tips, your tips. Did I mention tips? More tips than you can shake a tip at. And I don't even know what that means, (laughs) but that's how it's going to be. Sponsors for this episode include LinkedIn Jobs at LinkedIn.com slash MGG. Text Expander at TextExpander.com slash podcast. BB at it from BareBones.com. And the reason we have so many tips is because the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. And that's what we're going to do today here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where I'm shaking my fist at people that won't clear their sidewalk or clear their cars of snow after a snowstorm. This is... John F.
1: Braun. Well, you'll be proud of me, John F. Braun. I just came in from <laughs> running the snowblower. Uh, we don't have sidewalks, so that that's not really an issue here, but but I ran my snowblower anyway because I needed to clear stuff. So I do always clear a nice little spot um, for our mail carrier to be able to get to the mailbox. So there's Well that's
0: that. my concern is that that's you it. know, I don't want to endanger them by having, you know. Especially overnight when it goes below freezing and then it turns into tr-
1: a treacherous, icy path of death. So I mentioned that I think about this, folks, I, I'm going to share uh, something that has nothing to do with Mac Geek Gab, uh, except that we talk about, you know, how my office is separate from my house here. The previous owners built this building that my office and, and studio is in. And it's awesome. Except and it's really great, actually. Uh, Because the way they positioned it, you can't see one of the neighbor's houses from the main house. So it really does create like this, this nice little private feeling kind of, you know, compound for us here, which is freaking awesome. Except where they positioned it blocks the sun because it's on the south side of my driveway. So it blocks the sun. So I have this office building shadow shaped icy death pond. (laughs) That lives in my driveway for most of the winter and where it's really dangerous is when there is snow on it because you forget you're walking in the snow where the ice is melted and then you are suddenly not walking in the snow where the ice is melted, but it looks the same until you're on your butt. And that's no fun. I actually really hurt myself last winter, but, uh, but anyway, so when you're, when you're building buildings, think about where the sun might be, uh, especially if you have ice to melt. So there you go. That's my, uh, that's tip number one that I wasn't even planning on sharing. No, That's good advice because
0: actually one time I, I did slip on uh, an icy sidewalk and actually uh, smashed my uh, Palm seven. What's that, John? Oh, wow. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, it it, uh, it was in my pocket, and I or no, it was in my bag, and I I fell, and well, it 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 shielded me, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, ah, that was such a cool little device.
1: That was that device um, was responsible for allowing us to do our first live keynote coverage from the keynote at the Javits Center, which Noah Wiley uh came out as Irsat's Steve Jobs and started the keynote until Steve came out and, you know, jokingly critiqued him and, and all of that. But yeah, so we've talked about this a few times and I'm sure I know we did an article many, many, many moons ago about how we did all this. But your Palm 7 was great because I had the Palm 3 and so I would busily uh, scratch notes into the Palm 3 via their graffiti, like handwriting recognition or whatever. And then when we had a moment, I would use IR and beam them to you. And then you, because your Palm seven had GPRS capability. If I'm trusting my memory. I think
0: it was cellular data.
1: Okay. Well, it was some sort of data. Yeah. I thought it used GPRS, but but, uh, I could uh, be wrong about that.
0: It could have, but it it was an internet connection.
1: It was some sort of, right. You were able to send email from that. And that's the important part. And then, uh, you would email the, the, you know, the most recent batch of notes that I just beamed to you to Brian Chaffin, who was sitting in our office in Austin, and he would take those and format them and put them on the web. And this is how live keynote coverage was done in the old days. Kids, you can ask your parents about what it was like to read along with that. So, yeah. (laughs) Uh, so so here we are. Yeah. Thank you, Palm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't even know where we are anymore, but I do actually. I, I That's just that was like a nice little trip down memory lane. Another trip down memory lane is with our first sponsor, which is BB Edit from Barebone Software. Twenty five years and going strong as my favorite text editor. Like I th- this is an app. I say it all the time and it's true. And I even look when I'm saying it, that it's open always On all of my Macs. And that is a true statement right now as well, because I use it for everything. I use it to process our show notes, right? Simple text stuff where you're just processing like things like our our little agenda item in our show notes and stuff. I, I use it after we finish the show to do those process to do that processing. Uh, But I also use it to do PHP coding. I use it to do JavaScript coding. I use it to do CSS coding. If I knew C++ better than I do, I would actually use it for that. But because I don't, I don't. Um, But but I would. You could use it really for any text-oriented stuff. And when you're doing something like C++ or JavaScript or HTML, it automatically senses what language you're in and starts Applying some nice little formatting to it for you doesn't actually change the text file, just shows it to you through the BBEdit lens that adds this formatting on top, which makes life really, really easy. You can fold up functions, you can expand them, you can do all sorts of things. And it's smart because it's written by people that use it for that purpose. I love it when someone makes a tool to scratch their own itch that actually helps many of us scratch an itch. It's sort of a beautiful little, like, you know, I talk a lot about non-zero-sum games and this is one of those, right? They build it for them. It works for us. We get to pay them for it and it's all good. Here's the thing. You can go download it for free at barebones.com. You get 30 days of all the features for free. After 30 days, you can pay and keep all the features. Or you get a subset of the features, which for most of us is probably even enough. So I highly recommend you just go to barebones.com, download it, start using it, take it from there. Our thanks to Barebones both for making BB edit and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, now I think we should probably get to a question or, or six. How's that sound? Five, six. All right. I don't know. We'll start with one. Three, maybe maybe three, we sir. shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> Should we just start with one? All right. Uh, proceed. Okay. Um. I don't know where I'm going to start with this. Uh, it, we'll start with Nick. Nick writes. He says, "Uh, my wife has recently upgraded to a new MacBook Pro for work using." All the USB-C interfaces. She wants to get a dock for her home desk, but really doesn't like that having a USB-C dock uh, means that she'll be powering or charging the laptop the whole time she's connected. As they say, it is bad battery management behavior. She's thinking about a smaller non-powered port expander instead, so she can have ports off of one side of her MacBook Pro and power on the other, and can plug or unplug as needed, uh, as told by Fruit Juice. Has anyone found a solution to this yet? Says, I figure an app or utility that would allow you to soft control charging via the MacBook Pro, if this is even possible in Mac OS, or maybe a USB-C dock that would allow you to turn off the feeding of the power via the USB-C cable uh, would be helpful. If this isn't something that the dock manufacturers are doing, maybe it's something they should consider. Combining power and ports into one connection instead of the old MagSafe Thunderbolt combo Where you could control power separately from your port connection seems to be a serious step backwards in manageability and battery maintenance. So you bring up a really good point, Nick, because, uh, you know, certainly we have learned over the years that batteries didn't. I'm not saying don't note that didn't like it at all when they were just charged all the time. They would, you know, we always talk here about keep the electrons flowing either into the battery or out, but never just in stasis because the battery doesn't last. The last few years, though, that has been anecdotally, at least proven to us by listeners to no longer be the case. Uh, It seems battery technology and especially Mac OS's battery management technology with newer Macs really mitigates this down to something that's just not an issue. And we've had several of you, uh, especially over the last year or so, we started asking about this, ask, uh, you know, send us your, uh, your system profiler reports. So if you go into uh, about this Mac, you go to system report, that brings up system information. I call it system profiler because, you know, um, I remember those days. And if you go into oh I'm not in a laptop here I don't think it's in power I think it's actually in a separate battery thing but it might be in power and uh, maybe John you can look that up for me and confirm or refute sure it is. okay uh, and uh, and if you look in there there's there's two numbers there's the number of charge cycles that the battery has had and then there is the uh, capacity of the battery compared to what its full charge capacity is. And uh and and it's under power is what Brian Monroe in the chat room confirms for us. The chat room. What chat room are you talking Good about? Call com slash stream. And you can join us there. And and the chat room is a fantastic place from from your perspective as the listener who's not in the chat room, because these folks help make sure we're giving you the right information, which is awesome. So thank you, Brian Monroe. Uh so yeah, you have battery health information there, and it shows you the cycle count, the condition, but it will also show you your uh, full f- charge capacity. There it is, uh, and that will tell you. And it monitoring that number over time will see how your battery is doing in general, and you can use a tool like Coconut Battery to really dig into this. Because it will compare it to what your battery came from from the factory. The, the factory thing is not listed in that health scenario right there. Right, John?
0: <clears throat> right. Um, but also fruit juice uh, at some level will do that if you dig in. We'll sure. Say, hey, you're at X percent of. Um, your maximum is at X percent of the shipped brand spanking new value. Right. right. And most people, I think, would agree that once that gets to 80 percent, that's probably a sign that you may want to
1: get a new battery. That's Apple's sign for sure. But what's been really interesting over the last couple of years is that we've had folks send things in where their cycle counts are in like the, you know, the low dozens, I'll say, and still like with a battery that's years old because it's just been plugged in all the time and they're full charge capacity is still right at or very near the factory capacity. So the battery isn't degrading because it's been on charge all the time. Now hmm. I, I'm kind of like you, Nick. I, I, I still get nervous about this I think those nerves are only fueled by the past, like the the distant past. And, and certainly if you've got a laptop, that's more than about, I'll say five years old, although that's probably more like seven at this point, then this probably still is true. But anything, uh, anything certainly in the last five years seems to be sort of, I don't want to say immune to this, but Apple has, has made some significant changes in both the hardware and software to keep this from being an issue. So, but if you are nervous about it, then your, you know, your proposed plan is, is fine. Get some non-powered, you know, maybe some of those portable docs that, that, that they make and use those as your, you know, as your, your data distribution hub, if you will, and then have power come in via a, a different USB-C port if, and when you want it. But there's there's nothing wrong with doing that, and it certainly will make sure that that you don't run into this problem, but I think you probably won't anyway, based on what we know. So there you go.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm kind of shocked here because I'm looking at fruit juice right now, and so on my 2012, Dave, yep. I'm at 7% of original capacity.
1: So You with cut points. out for half a second. You're at 87, is that what you said? Correct. That's it, awesome. It,
0: it reports I'm at 87%. At 26.11 of 1,000 charge cycles.
1: That's crazy, man. That's awesome. Because I
0: juice, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, it, yeah, like you, the thing is, I, I as soon as my machine gets fully charged, I pull the power and let it run down to whatever, and then I'll start charging it again. Sure. And sure. I think because I follow that regime, it's probably led to me getting such good numbers. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With that, with a machine of that vintage, I would agree. I, I, I would, I would do exactly what you're doing. That makes perfect sense. Um, with my new one, I have been a little less, uh, careful, my new MacBook air and, uh, and we'll see, but it's based mostly on, you know, our anecdotal listener reports. So if you folks are wrong and I am sharing the wrong advice, then, uh, and I don't think you folks are wrong, but I will, I will suffer as well. But um, but yeah, how much what how much battery life do you get out of a full charge on that, John? Just like generally speaking, S- several hours, <clears throat> like three to five kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'd say it's about right, depending yeah. on what I'm doing. Sure. Because, of course, it's all dependent upon, you know, I mean, are are you connected to network shares? I mean, yeah, the more you're doing. more it's going to drain the battery whether it's doing wi-fi or bluetooth or all that stuff there yeah
1: yeah of course of course yeah with my new one i'm at like seven to ten which is awesome it's just it's great to be able to go a full day and you know not even think about it's 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 a good world that we live in i like it mm -hmm. all right uh going on to irv Irv asks, my wife and I both have iCloud accounts and each have our own separate Apple IDs and separate address books. Is it possible to merge the two address books to allow us to share a single address book? Is it possible to make a backup copy of her address book and somehow add it to mine? So those are two different questions, or at least I'm going to treat them as two different questions. And I'm going to start with the second one. Uh, Both because that seems to be what we always do here on Mac Geek, but it's also where I would start, even if you were going to merge them together. And that is you want to make a backup. You want to have a copy of these things that is going to be untouched by whatever silliness we might suggest you do next. So uh, on both Macs, you will do this. Go into contacts, go to file, go to export and choose contacts archive. This will make a single file backup of your contacts. This is way easier to deal with than something that's going to be buried in a Time Machine backup. I've I've done both. I've recovered from both. One, the, the, what I'm suggesting here with the contacts archive is all of about a 19 second process to restore from. Uh, doing it from the uh, a Time Machine backup is you know maybe a 90 minute process by the time you dig in there and pull the data out and try and like make sense of it and move your other data out of the way you see where i'm going with this if you know you're going to need a backup or even think you are make one so that's step one now if you want to merge things without syncing that merge database then you and your wife could just swap contacts backups contact archives and import them into your existing things and boom that will import things in Contacts does a decent job of deduplication and detection and all that stuff. And then you're good to go. You've each got each other's contacts as of the moment that you exported them. As far as syncing them, that gets a little interesting. The way to do it, it's doable though. And I, I know some people, I have some clients with my Dave, the nerd business that, that do this. It seemed strange when the first one asked me, but who am I to judge it? You know, if it works for you, then totally fine. Uh, You turn off contact syncing in iCloud and then you create a new iCloud account and you only sync your contacts to that account. Yes, you can have two iCloud accounts on the same Mm. device and don't do mail. Don't do calendars to this. Don't do anything else. You know, name it, you know, shared family member or whatever you want to do and Have you both connect to that again, disable contact syncing from your main iCloud account. And then, yes, do contact syncing with this secondary iCloud account and only contact syncing with that. And then you're fine knowing I know this sounds obvious, but knowing that any changes either of you makes to that contacts database will be shared and synced to the other. So if one of you deletes a contact, you both have it deleted. If one of you adds or changes a phone number, you both have that. Addition or change, but yeah, it's doable. So, yep. Thoughts on that, Mr. Braun?
0: I think I'm with you on that. Yeah, there are, um, if you do do contacts and things start going off the rails, keep in mind in the card menu, there is two selections that you may find handy. One is merge selected cards, which you may have to do if you're doing a... Yep. If you're combining databases and they also have a look for duplicates feature. But I think as you pointed out, Dave, usually it's pretty uh, contacts is pretty good about not creating an infinite number of the same contact. If
1: you <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not perfect, though, but, but yeah, those it's two good.
0: features are those two features uh, uh, can come in handy. If, if you feel that your uh, contacts database database is starting to go off the rails. Yeah, Yep. yep.
1: And again, it, and even if you're just doing this on your own, if you've got a bunch of stuff you want to merge or whatever, I, do that file export contacts archive before you start it. Like, yeah, <laughs> it just is so much easier to recover from. I mean, it's
0: be, the thing is, it, it, it's buried. It, I mean, you can dig into your it. it it's somewhere. It's, the, I think the, it's, the, the it's really, in
1: library contacts, if memory serves. Yeah, library
0: contacts. But um, you don't want to get to that level and you don't no. need to if you uh, if you
1: do what my colleague said. I'm sorry. It's not library contacts. It is. Uh, huh. I thought it was in home library address book, but it's not there either. Right.
0: right. Because a lot of things still have the old naming convention.
1: Yeah. So anyways, I'll poke around. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it's, it's there. Like if, if things go sideways, you can definitely, you know, find it. It's just not, um, there's better things to do with your time. It's really what it comes down to. All right. Now, now I need to know though, John. So I'm looking here. It is in home library application support address book. That's where these databases are, are stored. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah,
0: There's a lot of good stuff in there. Yep.
1: And as Kiwi Graham in the chat room points out, you can also use this kind of multiple iCloud account thing, To maintain multiple sets of contacts, you just need to be very diligent about where you assign them. When you add a new contact, uh, you can choose for it to go in, um, you know, iCloud or wherever else you want to put these things. And you get to choose that. You know, if you go to uh, contacts preferences, uh, accounts, you can see all the accounts that are there. And I don't know that to get to set here which one gets to be the default but i know there's somewhere so you can manage things and if you in contacts if you go to view show groups that will open up a, a kind of a third pane to the left of your contacts list that will show all of your groups and all of your sources for your contacts so uh, bear that in mind too. So you could maintain like a shared contacts database for the, the people that you and your wife know and, and use in common. And then you could each still have your separate ones. That, that gets to be a little bit, you know, you just have to know what you're doing and, and, and know why you're doing it. That's sort of the trick. So.
0: And speaking of iCloud, Dave, yes. I actually just had to do something with iCloud.
1: What'd you have to as do? You
0: may have, as you may have heard, Apple now requires what they call two-factor authentication if you have a developer account.
1: Yeah, I still haven't done that with my developer account, but I I need to, otherwise I can't log into my developer account. So,
0: yeah. Well, what I did is actually created a new user for, for that purpose alone because the Apple ID
1: associated with my account is different from the Apple ID that I use for my everyday stuff. Same. Okay, so that's how you did it. I guess that's the only way to do it. Right. Is you just on on one of your Macs, you create a separate user. The trick is, though, when you do their two factors, I like to call it two step authentication. Um, yes, I think that's more correct. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it's using the normal path of sending a code to a, a logged in device, you won't ever get that code. Right. So. Um, change it to use text messages as the authentication you know factor which actually does make it two-step which is kind of cool or two it does make it another factor uh, which is kind of cool so uh, so that you can say log in in a web browser to your developer account even if you're not logged into that account uh, in your in iCloud on your Mac it's all very confusing now I mean I get why they're doing it and and I think they're Assumption is, well, if you're a developer, you're going to grok this stuff. So mm, we're we're going to err on the side of security, but still kind of a headache. So, yeah. Did you do that? Did you set yours to do text messages or or are you just? Um, I
0: just set up a new account, logged in. It, you know, asked for the authentication and Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, okay, you want to trust this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So.
1: OK, I think so, I'm good. Yeah, so in order to log into your developer account on the Web, though, you have to use that second Mac OS account that you've created. Otherwise, it won't yeah, let you in. Yeah. Which, OK. Which. is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just I mean, it's a I, I, it's not convenient. Right. Because if I'm in the middle of doing stuff and I have to log into my developer account to do something, I don't want to have to switch accounts on my Mac to do that. Which, which is why I'll, I'll do it with text message authentication. So I can just, any web browser will let me in as long as I have my phone. So,
0: yeah. Speaking of SMS, do we have a, we have we a bunch of tips about, it. well, we'll, we'll get there.
1: Yeah, we do. We have some okay. SMS tips. Cause I, I got something to throw into the. Okay. Yeah. Computer. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yep. There's, um, a,
0: there's a lot of the, the SMS, although it's ancient. It's used for everything. Of,
1: yeah. Well, everybody has it now. It's ancient, except now it's like everybody's got it. It's also ubiquitous. So, yeah.
0: Of course, there's also something called MMS. Mm. We'll
1: get to that later. For for sending images. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. (laughs) All right. Um, We do have a geek challenge, though, from listener Brian, who says, I have a handful of pieces of information that I need to pull up on a regular basis for my own reference. For example, I serve on a couple of boards and keep a list of the names of the members of each board and their respective responsibilities. He uh, says I would love to have an app that sits in the taskbar, and I could click and maybe have a drop-down list right there of my you know six or eight little text snippets, whatever you want to call them, that has all this information right there. It says I have other apps like Drafts and Bear that I use for collecting text for future, but Nothing that he's found uh, that has, you know, something that can just contain this list. I I mean, what he's describing is what a lot of I think what the initial intention for the stickies app was. Um, That's a little clunky in its UI. And I get why he would want like a menu bar type dropdown just to keep things nice and tidy and clean. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything like this, which is why I called it a geek challenge. I'm hoping somebody out really? there can send something in and tell us about it, unless you know, John. But feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where where we would like to hear about that from. So
0: do you have any thoughts um, on this? Um, I would concur that feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you should send your suggestions,
1: Dave. Right. Well you and you know, also feedback at MacGeekCap.com is, is a good oh, place well, to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Actually, um, yeah. I mean, off the top of my head here, Dave, I mean notes is probably I, I use notes for a similar purpose in that it's spread across all my devices. Am, am yeah. I missing something? I mean well, notes you're, and, and you're notes missing supports
1: that it's more
0: no- I mean it's not a database.
1: Well, I mean, it is, but not in that sense. What he wants is just some drop down so that it's accessible right there. Uh, I mean, I guess he could create favorite I mean, notes, make a table
0: and notes, right? Make a you know, a note supports tables and stuff right now, or mm-hmm. you could cut and paste the data there. So it, it's not an ideal solution, but it's, it's yeah, you know, it's doable. I mean, the price, yeah, the price is right. It's just, I, I use. For for data that I need to access from any of my devices, uh, in a lot of cases, I'll create a note for it. And uh, the flexibility of what it can do, I mean, before it was just text. Now it can, you know, do tables sure. and images and, and all that great stuff. So
1: we want to consider that. Maybe. All right. I think fixed on 66 in the chat room has the answer. And Ooh. we've talked about this on the show before. It's called Unclutter at UnclutterApp.com. And it does exactly this. You can have little snippets. You can see your clipboard. You can see files. This might in fact be the thing. That's a good. Um, yeah, that's good. All right. I will, uh, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. If anybody else has something else, please share. Yeah. All right, John, while we are on the, the, the list, the, subject of things that we would like to have listener. Mike says, I'm looking for a great Mac app that will monitor upload and download internet bandwidth usage on my Mac. It needs to be able to monitor cumulative usage, not just since the Mac was last restarted. I'm guessing he didn't say this, but I'm guessing he has some sort of, you know, bandwidth limitations or something on his broadband connection and is looking to, to track his max bandwidth usage. Any thoughts on that, my friend?
0: Absolutely. I'm (laughs) glad you got to this question. Though, though, I'll tell you my answer. Okay. If he's talking for a specific machine, yes, maybe no. But if he's talking cumulative, and that's what caught my attention when I read this question here. An SNMP utility may be what you're looking for. If your router supports it. Yeah. And there yeah. is one that I found here called, um, and, and I'll copy and put it in our room here and we'll I'll put in our show notes here. But um, there is something called SNMP test utility. And this is exactly what it does. If your router supports it, it can query and it'll show you in a pretty little graph the uh, bandwidth that your router has been using up and down. Which huh. I think is what he's looking for. Yeah, But the, unfortunately, and it makes me sad here, is that I ran it, and um, at least in my setup, uh, it appears that Eero does not support SNMP.
1: Yeah, I would say that... a simple network
0: management protocol, and the thing is, Apple used to support that on their routers until the very last ones. They used to support this functionality, where Sure. you could say, hey, how much data have you sent and received uh, as of late? So, um... Yeah, I mean it makes me sad because the vendors could offer this support, but it, it depends on your router. So you may want to look at this utility to see if that'll that'll help you out here. Because I think it'll also. I, I I'm not sure. I think it may proactively tell you, hey, um, and, and there could be other utilities that, that do this as well. But I, I think the only way you can really do that is through a utility that talks to your router and says,
1: yeah, uh, he uses this. Yeah, no, I agree with that. In order to know what your network is using, yes. Um I think there are some utilities that will show this for your Mac, but where that gets a little bit squirrely is let's say your Mac is streaming a movie to your Apple TV. Well, that's going to be bandwidth going out from your Mac, but it's not leaving your network and so it's not using your internet connection. So your your Solution of using, you know, some way of monitoring at the router level is much better. Of course, as you pointed out, Eero and most consumer routers don't let you do that these days. So that's not really going to help uh, for most people. I, I don't think you're right. Apple's routers used to. But that's I mean, not. Um, I mean, the
0: other thing is, yeah I mean, this probably isn't a great solution. I mean, activity monitor will show network activity though. I don't know. Not cumulatively. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking here and and network and it shows data received and data
1: sent. Yeah. But Um, not, not over reboots. Right. Okay. He wants to know over the course of a month, you know, um, there is something called bandwidth plus that I'm finding in the Mac app store that might do Mm -hmm. this or it it says it will do this, but um, I'm not, I'm not. I haven't used it, so you know it is free though. So maybe that's worth testing. And I mean, you can um, also
0: just ditch your provider, though. Uh, that's if,
1: if awful, you uh, if you can, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'll put that link out there. But if anybody knows, yeah, please let us know. And if you're a, you already know the email addresses, but if you're a premium listener, of course, premium at mackeyboard.com. So and 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 also check your router. A lot of routers. Keep this data like on their own and expose it in their interfaces. You know, so depending on your router, you may already be able to see this information. And that can be really
0: handy. I'm glad you said that because, you know, you and I have talked about smart routers and I have what I'll consider a smart router. Yep. It does have a screen that shows the amount of network traffic on each
1: port. Okay. So you can see how much you've used, like, does it, uh, um, uh, I guess my question is, is it easy for you to say in the last week I've used X amount of my internet bandwidth? Uh, I don't think so. I think with the Eero, what you're seeing is what each device has used inside well, I'm your network.
0: My, TP, my tp link so the tp oh, link yeah 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 has a status screen that shows on each port now it's only physically wired ports okay um,
1: okay well
0: so, but no no now that i think about it duh, my Eero is plugged in t- into that so i mean it shows the number of packets that you've sent and received that may be a that may be another solution. Yeah, getting, getting a router that reports this information, but yeah. uh, some do not. Basic switches, or I'm sorry, switches.
1: It's yeah, a switch. not yeah, but not your basic router. It's showing me the routers. amount of
0: data that it's it's pumped through it since it was last restarted. So, yeah, yeah. Of course, now I'm looking, and I think I got to talk to their software people because it's showing me certain values have a negative. Which um, last I checked, uh, sending a negative amount of data is is pretty difficult. Yeah, it doesn't so. work.
1: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's not like the electric company where you can use your solar panels to pump stuff back into the system and get a credit. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think I, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I think I'm gonna
0: have to update my firmware because that's definitely a. Oh my gosh, there's like four negative values that they show in their list here. Okay, never mind.
1: I I know like the Netgear gaming routers, and I can't think of the model off the top of my head. Um, but uh, which one? Is it? Maybe the XR 700? Is that the one that I tested most recently? I think it is. Yeah, that one has it, Uh, but their Nighthawk Pro gaming routers definitely will, will maintain and show you your bandwidth and even send you a warning when you're approaching, you know, a limit that you can set. Actually, now that I think about it, it's not just their, uh, their gaming routers. I think most of their standalone routers have that in the software. So, so maybe a Netgear router is, is in, uh, is in Mike's future. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, Let's see, where are we at here? You know, I want to take a second minute here, John, and talk about our second sponsor, which is LinkedIn Jobs at linkedin.com slash MGG. So I can say as a small business owner, I can say this, and it is so true that making the right hire is critical for your business, right? Because if you hire the wrong person, it can it can actually destroy your business. It can change the culture of your company. It like, you do not want to make the wrong hire. You want to make sure you bring in people that are going to make your business better. And LinkedIn Jobs makes it super easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role, right? Because LinkedIn Jobs uses its knowledge of both hard skills and what they call soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role best, not just people who have had a job with the same title at some other company. Right. And here's the thing, you know, I, as a business owner, I always talk about unfair competitive advantage. LinkedIn jobs has that because people that are looking for a job might not be the people that are looking for what you have to offer. And they may not be the people that you're looking for. Somebody that has a job might be the exact right candidate, but they might not be on all the job boards. Well, here's where LinkedIn's competitive advantage comes in. People that have jobs use LinkedIn. Like 70% of the workforce uses LinkedIn. It's crazy, right? People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and is looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire somebody, your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. They're based on skills and background, but also interests, activities, passions. And this lets you match to a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role, so that you can focus on the candidates that you want to spend time talking with, and you can make that quality hire that excites you. Customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires, and now you can do it too. Post a job today at LinkedIn.com/slash-mgg. And you get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash MGG. You get $50 off your first job post. I've used this. It's fantastic. I am happy that they are offering this deal to you as well. Our thanks to LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, Uh, let's move on to some tips, shall we, my friend? Good. Surely. Surely, and stop calling me Shirley. I know. I know. Couldn't I? Couldn't resist. I couldn't. Resist. I know. <laughs> I just watched Airplane the other night. So, really, my son had never seen it, so it was. Oh my gosh. I know. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost a requirement in order to be like. That's why we watched it. Part yeah. of the cool kids,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, some tips, Ben. Uh, shares a quick tip. He says, I normally use calendar and week view on my Mac and navigate to next or previous weeks with command plus right or command plus left. Uh, He says, I just discovered that adding option to this shortcut shifts the calendar one day at a time. This can be super handy folks for seeing a week. That's not just running, you know, Sunday to Monday or whatever it is. Sometimes you want to see Wednesday to Tuesday or something like that. This lets you do that says you can find the modified command in the view menu. These commands are normally next and previous with option held down in the view menu. They become next alternate and previous alternate. He says I tested this in day, month and year views and the modified command doesn't seem to have a different effect. So it's only really special in week view. He says I find it useful as I sometimes want to compare two days that are within a week of each other, but in adjacent weeks like last Friday and this Wednesday. So there you go. Thank you so much, Ben. This is what I love about quick tips. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pretty cool, huh, John? Quick. Yeah. So listener Mark finds a tip that's, um, you know, sort of the anti cool stuff found. Uh, It's a fish shake. Yeah. Is it a
0: fish shake or a finger rag? Uh,
1: Yeah. I'm not sure what level we're at here. He says it's, it's a, it's whatever it is, it's about crash plan, uh, which Mark says, was previously a well-respected cloud backup. He says, as most people know, they got rid of their consumer-level service but have a small business service for 10 bucks a month per device. He says, this was worth it to me until. My wife got a new MacBook Air and we had problems with Time Machine, so I decided to download a restore from CrashPlan. It turns out you can only download 250 megabytes at a time. When I called support and asked them what kind of crash this was supposed to help with, they said that larger downloads would back up their system. They created a ticket for me, which said that I'd be called within two business days. Several days later a no call. I received another email asking why I haven't responded to the customer service ticket. Not only is their service essentially worthless as a protection against catastrophic data loss, but their customer support is now equally worthless. I will be dropping them like a hot potato. He says, luckily we had done carbon copy cloner backups of her data and, um, can't have enough backups so and he says without you guys i wouldn't have been so well equipped to handle this problem so many thanks well you're welcome and i'm glad that's what we do here that's why we do it um so you know this is but this is interesting right because we always say have backups but more than that we say test your restore right make sure that you know how to restore your data from a backup because you don't want to be figuring that out when you know When, when, when the proverbial stuff has hit the fan, you want to sort of know what you're doing. I don't think I can add to that advice and test by downloading everything, but it sure seems like I should add that to our advice, but we really, that's unrealistic, John. So the question is at least know what your provider will let you download to my knowledge. Backblaze will let you download everything crash plan as it turns out has a limit uh so and and back according to brian monroe in the chat room says they will even send you a hard drive if you need it uh if your download speeds aren't fast enough to slurp down your data you know in a reasonable time you can have them you know image it onto a hard drive and and i think you have to buy the drive from them or send it back but whatever it is they'll send you your data on a drive so you can get it fedex to you or whatever so yeah yeah, good, good, uh, good catch there, Mark. I'm glad it. I'm glad you didn't get caught, and I'm glad, especially glad that you shared this with us, so that ho- hopefully no one listening will get caught by this. So there you go. Good. Yeah, yeah
0: I, I know. remember the same thing back when I was looking at cloud services. I think Box.com also mm-hmm. had a limitation in that they wouldn't, if you were a cheapskate like me, they wouldn't allow you to transfer files over a certain size and it's just like dude then again you know i mean you get what you pay for
1: right yeah but with crash plan he was paying like that like that, this no, wasn't it, the cheap they, service
0: yeah exactly yeah like they're that. just tightening up their yeah and it's i don't know that i'm into that
1: not good not good well free market you know i mean yeah exactly right go somewhere else yeah no and that's what mark is going to do the, the part that sucks is now he has to Upload all that data again that he, you know, seeded to crash plan. So, yeah. Another Mark has a bit of advice. He says, The best computer advice anyone ever gave me, other than don't get caught, of course, he says, was this don't run any computer program continuously. Always exit the app every now and then. I couldn't agree more with this advice. Mac OS gets weird. It apps start leaking memory, even if they're like, especially perhaps if they are, you know, apps you use all the time, like Safari is terrible at this. Uh, I, like, this is great advice. I use an app called Quitter from Marco Arment, um, and it's available for free, which is awesome at marcoorg slash apps. And uh, I have it set. You can set it. It's really cool. You can set it to either hide or quit an app after that app has not been used for a specified period of time. So you could be using your computer, doing other things. If you haven't touched whatever that app is, it will quit it. So for Safari, for example, I have it set to 120 minutes. It's rare that I don't use Safari for two hours, except after I've left my desk for the day. And so I know that when I come to my office in the morning, Safari has quit and I'm at least restarting Safari once a day. Makes a huge difference, and I do the same thing with other apps. And then things that that you know, I open like Preview, where I'll open it and do something, and then forget that it's open. I have that set to thirty minutes. That you know, get rid of it, quit it. I'm fine. I'll come back to it if I need to. It's no big deal. But um, yeah, highly recommended. Good stuff. And you can also use uh, if you're using App Tamer uh, from Saint Clair Software. It has that same sort of functionality in it. So uh, if you've got that and you're using it for other things, then app tamers um, perfect for that, too. So do you use any of these apps, John? No. Okay. Do I you do quit? it old school. You do it old school. Okay. All right. So it's you, yeah. you do it. Yeah, I mean, okay. I'll rotate
0: through the apps, you know, with command tab, yep. which has. Everybody knows, but if you don't, lets you go through apps um, running on your Mac, and then if you highlight one and you, I, I believe it's, and cue it, it kills it off. Yeah. So I will do that on occasion to uh, free things up because if you're not using an app, why uh, have it take up resources? Yeah. Which, exactly. Uh, yeah. And sometimes be disastrous, as, as you've pointed out. It's like well, even before the <laughs> when we were starting to show up here, you're like. Um, audio hijack was like, like consuming like massive amounts of something. And it's like, okay, let's quit it. Let's quit it. Start it it up again.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah. No. And you know what it is? It's that I, this is not the first podcast I've recorded today. Uh, I did my gig gab podcast for musicians earlier. And normally I quit my apps in between those two sessions today. I did not. And you know, uh, I was paying that price. And so, you know, I quit it, and now it was using like sixty percent of my CPU or something. It was like it was not okay. Um, and now audio yeah. hijack is at twenty percent doing exactly the same thing I it. Or, or so I thought I
0: so. think you also did one uh, didn't you uh did did you do something across
1: the pond? Oh, I did uh, earlier this week. That's right. Yeah. I, I did chit chat across Rainnous. the pond with uh with Allison Sheridan. Um I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. We um we talked about mesh and just routers in general. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. No, I saw that. And uh yeah, yeah, I'd figure you're you're probably one of the more informed people about mesh technology. I try it, to so. be.
1: But yeah, you know. So I thought I'd plug that. But Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Uh a couple more tips, actually, gobs and gobs more tips because that seems to be what we're doing here. Uh Rand has one. And uh, speaking of inactivity, says uh, it appears there is a setting in the edit menu in keychain access that allows the keychain to or allows you to set the keychain's lock interval. And and he stumbled on this because his computer kept asking him to authenticate and it was driving him crazy. And somehow in the I think it was the migration to Mojave or something this got set so if you go into keychain access and you highlight say your login keychain although you can do this with all of your keychains and you go to i think it's the oh, I, I can actually pull it up can i uh it's the uh file menu and go to oh where is it john i always do it by right clicking on the keychain oh it's in the edit menu change settings for keychain login There's a little checkbox there that says lock after X minutes of inactivity. And if that box is checked, then your keychain will lock after X minutes of inactivity. And you will have to unlock it in order to do anything that requires the keychain on your Mac. So uh, this can be a handy thing, but it's also just one of those things that's worth knowing about so that it doesn't drive you crazy. Any thoughts on that, John? The only thing
0: I'll mention is that when I first saw this question, I was going to direct our... And to an article, as it turns out, uh, it wasn't the correct response, but it may be, it may help someone else. But sure. Apple has a dandy article called If Your Mac Keeps Asking for the Logging Keychain Password. Oh, which I thought was what was happening. And this could be useful sometimes because, you know, things go awry when you make a, uh, yeah,
1: when you do an upgrade. Um, huh. Alright, cool. I'll, yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes. That's great. But
0: Apple has one, because sometimes, again, things go bad and uh, you, you may actually have to get to the level, and I think that this was the speculation on on their part, was you may actually have to create a new keychain or mm. do a reset or something like that. That's... Uh, that makes me kind of jumpy. I've I've not had to do that. I don't know if you ever have,
1: Dave. Or, or I, I, I've done keychain. it... Yeah, I've done it I, certainly for others... When helping them, I can't. I know I had some keychain problem years ago. I may have had to do this. I can't remember, but but yes, I mean it. it like that is an option. It's sort of a mess having to do that, but it, I mean sometimes that's what you got to do. So
0: yeah, because I guess the key, the passwords for the keychain and and your account get out of sync, and then it's like right. all confused, yeah. and and so um. anyways, uh,
1: sometimes just no, it's changing. Mm-hmm your system password can help solve that because right, right. right because when you change your password it goes and rewrites your password to your login keychain to sync all that up and that can actually solve that problem so that that's another one of those things i'd forgotten about that yeah yeah cool lauren we were talking many many episodes ago well not that many but maybe 20 episodes or so ago about uh, various cloud solutions, and uh, in terms of syncing PDFs. And Lauren says, guys, you were seriously overthinking this. With PDFs, the answer, of course, is Acrobat. Their free reader is available on all platforms. And with a free Adobe account, you can save any PDFs you open in Acrobat inside Adobe's free document cloud. You can specify, you can specifically save a document to the cloud, but if you navigate to the document cloud from Acrobat, it will even show you recently viewed documents that weren't specifically uploaded. So that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Just bear that in mind. It's going to do that. Uh, He says the system is crazy, easy to use. I don't know exactly how much free storage you get in Adobe's document cloud, but it's a lot. I have hundreds of PDFs uploaded for instant access anywhere. It's enough to wean me off of Preview on my Mac because it's just so convenient. And did I mention it's completely free? Thanks, Lauren. That's uh, that's good to know. I hadn't hadn't even thought about that as an option, which is what I love wow. about doing this show.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of baffled um, that Adobe's offering something for free.
1: <laughs> I know. Right. Well,
0: especially because most, most, most people view a lot of these, you know, migration to cloud services as kind of a cash grab. So, yep. uh, Hey,
1: Adobe. Yep. No, it's, it's, I agree with you. Yeah. No, it's great. Okay. Uh, let's see. Where are we now, John? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, right, are we? we are at Jeff. So right. in, uh, MacGeekab seven fifty. We talked about deleting the contents of a folder hierarchy without actually deleting the hierarchy, without deleting the folders and all of that stuff. And we came up with a terminal command eventually that would allow us to do this. Listener Jeff came up with sort of a, or found sort of a different solution. Uh, He says, I found an Apple script that doesn't do that, but it does copy and paste a folder structure without the files that are in it handy. If you use the same structure for different projects and this might work for folks that were curious. And so uh, he sent us a link to the YouTube video that explains exactly how to do this. So we'll put that in the show notes. So thank you very much, Jeff. That's good stuff. I love it when I love it when we get follow ups like this, don't you, John? Indeed. Thoughts, thoughts on this one before we, uh, before no, we move it's on? A,
0: hey, it's a different vector into uh,
1: solving the problem. It's a different vector into solving the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. You know, we have a bunch of tips from the last episode here, like a crazy amount. Um, one tip I'm going to give you is our third sponsor, which is Text We're at TextExpander.com slash podcast. You... Can like I talk about utilities that are invaluable to me and I can't live without and text expander is far and away one of them that is on this list has been on this list and I can't imagine I'd ever take it off. And the reason is what text expander lets me do is perfectly, you know, sometimes you send out an email like like a customer service response or, or whatever, like something. Somebody asks a question. It's a question you get asked a lot and you take your time and you craft the email and you check through it. You make sure there's no typos and it's communicating very clearly what you want to say. This is really important when you've got like customer service stuff that you're doing. And then you send the email. And the next time you get that same question or something similar, you dig through your outbox and like where in your sent box and like, where is that? And you copy and you paste it and you realize that in pasting it, and sending the same response, it has like a forwarded mark in it somewhere. And you're like, oh crap, that doesn't look so good. And it just took you a long time to do that. Well, what Text Expander lets you do is you do that finely crafting and then you put that in Text Expander. And the next time you have to send that same email response, you just either invoke it with a click of a mouse or you type a little shortcut that expands into it, hence Text Expander. And boom, this perfectly crafted reply of yours is ready to go. And guess what? You don't have to proofread it. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to worry because it's your reply. This syncs to all of your devices. If you're on a team with others, the replies or the snippets sync to everyone. Really, really handy stuff. And I use it for all kinds of things uh, that I do either on a recurring basis And or that I don't want to get wrong. I mean, I don't want to get anything wrong. But things like addresses, especially when, you know, somebody says, oh, send me your address so I can send you this thing. It's like, okay, I got to type it out. I got to format it right. I got to make sure I get the zip code and put the space and the thing at the comma. No, I just type, you know, DHADD and it boom, it blasts out my address. Or if somebody says, hey, I want to send you and John something. Boom. J-B-A-D-D. Boom. I don't even put the F in there because I'm so efficient and I know that it's John Braun. Right. So. Because he's John F. Braun to you. And that's how it works. Uh, Text Expander is fantastic for all of this and more. You got to check it out. So go to Textexpander.com slash podcast where you can get 20% off of your first year subscription. Again, that's Textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to the folks at Text Expander for uh, sponsoring this episode. Very cool stuff. Okay. Uh, more tips from 750. I promised. We were talking about SMS, John, and boy, howdy, Mm -hmm. did we get a lot of responses about this. So um, we'll see if we can pull them all together here. Scott says, uh, like Jeremy, I am involved with my kids' Boy Scout troop, and we happen to have just started setting up and using a tool called troopwebhost.org, which allows us to do everything Needed to manage a scout troop. And he says they offer Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, which is great. Uh, Troopwebhost.com. Doe.org. Okay, Uh, this is one feature of this tool is that it allows us to send mass email and mass SMS messages. The interesting thing on SMS is that each person needs to input their cell phone number. Of course, that makes sense. And their carrier then the system will now have what it needs to send the mass sms it says i don't know what service it uses but i think it might just be using email the reason i think this is because the number and carrier it fills in a way that they call the sms text message address and the data looks like phone number at TXT.att.net for AT&T folks or phone number at messaging.sprintpcs.com or phone number at vtext.com. This is very, very cool. Uh, He says, I tested by sending my cell phone an email. I'm at AT AT&T and the message came from a 410 area code number, but it worked. So all Jeremy needs to do is identify each person's carrier and find out the stuff that comes after the at sign. And they can use email to send mass text messages, which is pretty cool. So that's one way to do it. Uh, I think using something like Troop Web Web Host would be way easier. But, you know, there you go.
0: But to dovetail on that. Yeah. So I found an article here at LifeWire, Dave. Okay. Which builds upon this. And the title of the article is SMS Gateway from Email to SMS Text Messages, and basically the article said what you said. But the thing is, they do point. So they list the email suffixes uh-huh. that are used for sending not only SMS but what some may call MMS. So SMS is text only. MMS allows you to send uh, multimedia. Sure, so I guess it's multimedia system. But this has a dandy little table of all of the email addresses. So one solution could be if you know the cell phone number of um, your recipients, um, you create a little email list w- with that and that'll do it for you. Mm. Let, me, uh, let me paste that in our room here.
1: Yeah. And the nice part about that is it would not send this group message that everybody can reply to and get really noisy with. It's just like a one way broadcast That's pretty good. I like it. I like it. Now, the only
0: thing that came into my mind when I heard this was, I don't know if you've seen the film Taken, but it was like, if you have my cell phone number and you text me relentlessly without pause, I will find you and I will maybe not kill you, but (laughs) we will have a conversation. I I will not like you anymore. Yeah. And I don't know. Actually, I, I've been pretty good lately about not getting. I mean, we all get SMS uh, spam. Mm. I,
1: I think you know, I don't get too of much of it, to be honest. AT and is really good about filtering that stuff out. Uh, yeah,
0: right. And the thing is, most providers. Um, and actually, I've done this: is that if you get a spam SMS, you can submit it to the um, your provider, and they will they will filter it. Which I think is why uh, we're running into this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're not it's not as much of a problem as it is with like getting spam phone calls, which
1: Yeah, t also does a great job with that. So with their call protect yeah, I
0: still, you know, I still get ones, Dave, where it comes up on my phone and the first 6 digits of the number are the same as mine because they know oh, it's somebody I know. Let me pick up the call. And the thing is invariably if I pick it up, it either uh, uh times out because it doesn't hear a response from me. Or does, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's a yeah. common tack. Yeah, I think sure. I was doing all this stuff. Well, if you're, if you're,
1: if you're an AT&T customer, I highly recommend you download their free call protect app and turn that service on. They have two levels of service, but the free one is what I use. And it's, it like, it really makes well, a I'll, difference. I'll
0: about, I, I'm will I Verizon. Yeah,
1: but, um, no, I'm just saying for our listeners. Um, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Verizon may have one, too. I should actually. I think they do. We've talked about them all in the show here before. Yeah. Uh, on Back on the SMS thing. And, and, and I, w- I will say that, you know, again, it's, you know, it's just a tool, right? It, you can use it for good or for evil. And uh, <laughs> I know, I, I, like, I really like, for example, our local school system has an SMS alert. Uh, and so this morning, when they chose to cancel school, they send out I I get it as both an email and an SMS. And by no means do I ever allow them to call me because I don't need my phone uh, to I don't need my phone to to ring at five in the morning when they've decided to cancel school. I can find out whenever I wake up and look and okay, great. No problem. And so I I, but I can wake up and see an SMS and it's like right there. So it's like it's super handy. Uh, Okay, so. Uh, listener Chris says just on the list of services here for bulk SMS and voice messages and emails, he says in the USA uh, we use a service called column Call all uh, we use it to blast SMS messages out uh, to our congregants when services are canceled due to weather. So this is a, this is very similar to what I just described our, our school using. We don't use that. They don't use that. They use like school messenger or something, but um but it does that like you can your your uh, folks on your list can choose to get a call or an email or a, an SMS, which is great. So thank you, Chris, for sending that in. And then uh, similarly, uh, Carl, but also Sam and I think a few others sent in a note saying that they do the same thing with remind dot com to handle this. Uh, so he says he, his, uh, organizations that his kids belong to use it. And he says he gets reminders and things like that from his kids, golf groups and swim teams and, and all of that stuff. So remind.com certainly seems like, uh, an option there too. So thank you for that, everyone. And I think that ends our SMS tips, but it doesn't end our tips, John. We have lots more tips. Lots more tips, but you know, before we, uh, share these tips and, oh, we will share these tips. I want to thank all of our premium subscribers who contributed this week, uh, on the biannual $25 every six month plan. We have Jonathan C. As I said, if I don't know where you're from, because you're a PayPal person and we don't have that data, then I can't say where you're from. Uh, but Jonathan C., uh, Bartek from London, Eric from Trondheim, Jim from California, Rob from Minnesota, Randall S, Bruce from Colorado, Robert from Arizona, Matt from Virginia, Daniel from London, Jeff S, Doug S, no relation, Brian from Tennessee, and Anthony from New South Wales, South New South Wales. Thank you to all of you. On the monthly $10 plan, thanking Ev the Nerd from California, Elizabeth from Virginia. Robert from Florida, Stephen from California, Ward from Arizona, Olga from Washington, Jason from Massachusetts, Stephen from Illinois, Nick from Michigan and Kenneth from New South Wales. Man, one of these days I'll be able to say New South Wales the first time (laughs) correctly. And lastly, uh, two twenty five dollar one time uh, contributions, one from Rick S and the other from Randall from Portland. So thank you to all of you. You rock. You rock. And anybody that wants to learn about premium, we mentioned before, you get access to our premium at MacGeekab.com address, which we prioritize when answering questions and when they come in. Uh and also you get that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get from supporting your two favorite geeks. You can learn about all of this MacGeekab.com slash premium. And now back to the tips. Uh In the last episode, we were talking about somebody suggested using the temporary Mac cloning from uh, from uh, if you needed like I I use the example in my, you know, in a college dorm room, Uh, you might want to set up a router there. So you would uh, have your router clone, say your laptop's uh, Ethernet Mac address so that when you plug that in, it's just automatically approved. That's a cool thing. Um, John had another way of going about it. He says, I found the easier and more permanent way to do it is to temporarily, instead of changing the router's Mac address in that example, change your Mac's Mac address to the Mac address of the router or whatever it is, whatever hardware it is that you want to add and he says, you can do this for wired or wireless devices. Once you get the interface, once you get the name of the interface, you want to change, look up and save the current Mac from the current network settings. Then go to the command line and enter this command that starts with sudo if config. We'll put the command in the show notes. And uh, he says, then go through the approval process. Once you're finished, revert to your Mac's original Mac address and plug in the device you just authorized. The system should be none the wiser. So that's pretty good. So huh. we'll we will we'll put that in the uh in the show notes. That's a great that's idea.
0: An, yeah. I'm just wondering if uh some sophisticated network intrusion blah blah device would be able to figure out that you're trying to pull one over on them.
1: Probably not. Yeah, how would they know? I mean it it, it well, just identifies by MAC address. That's it.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering if, if, if you have a Mac address and also have another factor to authenticate yourself to the network, if it sees a discrepancy between like, oh, okay, well, here's Mac address submitting this password and then here's a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Probably not a big concern, but. um,
1: Yeah, my, my concern would be like for taking my, my daughter's scenario, for example, if she wanted to add a router there. The the prescribed method is you call it, you give them the Mac address Mm -hmm. of the router and then they let it on board. And the same would be true if you want to use your Xbox or anything else like that. Right. Um, Doing it this way would get it approved. But. What how often do they require you to re-authenticate that device? (sighs) Right. Right. Whereas if they put it in the system, do they sort of flag it and say, don't ask this device to re-authenticate because it's no big deal if they require you to re your laptop like once a week like whatever Like, oh yeah i just got to re-log in okay yep yep everything's good well if that's your router that starts becoming a little bit of a chore to have to do this rigmarole all the time so
0: so yeah, yeah. again i'm just thinking on the device level yeah <laughs> Some tools may be able to say, hey, that that looks kind of wacky, but um, hey, you know, try it. I mean, the worst that can happen is that they'll detect it and then
1: you got to own up. Then. Yeah, exactly. Right. Then you got to you got to make that phone call. Yeah. 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 I don't know what happened. Um, we talked in the last episode about actually the last couple of episodes about printing multiple documents all at once. And we've gotten even more tips about this. So I'm thinking we might have now exhausted all the different options uh, with these last two. So Steven says, you can also simply select the documents in the finder and hit command P, which will send them straight to your default printer much quicker and easier than the solution mentioned on the show. And he says it works with Pathfinder too. And that's true. And then actually when I, when we first started talking about it, it was like, Oh, like that's, I, that's what I normally do. But the issue with that is if you happen to have the wrong stuff selected, like it like, I don't know, I've messed this up more times than not. So I actually didn't choose to just like bring this up right at the front. But Steven is right. Like this is doable. It just I don't know. It just always felt a little wonky to me when I whenever I've done it. But maybe maybe that's just me. So that's that one. And then Ward and Nick and I believe several others sent in a uh, another way of doing this, John. And that is, he says, uh, Ward writes, so I print a lot of files at once. And what I did is drag the printer from the settings to the taskbar uh, to the dock. And he says, you can drag most anything to the dock. And once it's there you can actually drag and drop your files right onto the icon. You don't even need to open it up and drag them into the window. Just drag a file onto the printer's dock icon and it'll put it in the print queue and you're good to go. So thank you everyone for all of that. Good, good stuff. Any thoughts on uh, on this craziness Sweet. here, John?
0: No, yeah? no, I like that. Um, yeah, for those that still print on um, Deadwood, that's a that's a, that's a good thing to no. know.
1: Yeah, I, you know, we keep a lot of some things we keep as paper files in the office. Um, and of course my kids need to print all the time, so for school and and all that sort of thing. so it's handy. it's handy. It's uh you know yeah. it's printing. you could print hey, you could you could even typeset. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know that I've other than like when I've gone to places like Sturbridge Village or whatever, I don't know that I've ever done actual typesetting in it. So in like I thought it was a good movie.
0: Way. So, so, so quick tangent, but I just watched The Post, which I thought was a good movie and it has good actors. But the thing is, they showcase typesetting used for making newspapers, which I understand they still do that.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true, right? I'm trying to think. Did I ever and see another,
0: that? And another movie? tangent is, you know, our buddy Glenn Fleischman is actually oh, sponsoring. Yeah. He's actually doing a Kickstarter, which reached its limit, but it was a. Ti- I think it called. He called it like a tiny type museum. I just thought it was fascinating because I guess he and a lot of others in our world of uh, uh, journalists, if if you consider us journalists, would do typesetting. I mean, it was part of the process and and actually part of our history. I've never done
1: it, but yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: In the the movie itself, it was just amazing to look at the, uh, they, they so accurately uh, depicted what was involved in building the type and, you know, the little metal bits. And and it was just like, oh my gosh, all the work that went into making a newspaper. And I guess still is involved in making newspaper though. I think now it's a, more uh laser than a uh, mechanical technology, but it was yeah. just fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy. Cool. All right. Well, I'll put a link to Glenn's thing, even though I, I know it's funded and all that stuff, which is great. So cool.
0: Yeah. But bless from the past. I mean,
1: yeah, for sure. For sure. I don't know that we have anything else. Um, does it make sense? Uh, no, you know what? I think we're good. I think we've, uh, are we, I'm, I was going to say, I think we've exhausted, um, everything I'm exhausted, which means, you know, something, I don't know, I don't know what it means, but, uh, it means something. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's good. we got a bunch of questions, a bunch of tips. We shared a cool stuff found. We shared a not cool stuff found. <laughs> uh, I learned something. We, I like, like how much, I, you know, there you go. Right. I learned something. We all did. It's how it goes. I I learned like putting all these questions together every week. Like, I, there's no way I couldn't learn at least five new things. It's just it's freaking awesome. I love it. I love it. I really do. And uh, so, thank you to everybody for listening and sending in all your stuff. It really like it. it it's crazy that that we get to do this every week. And and I just I don't just mean me and John. I mean all of us you listeners us is producing it it's awesome so thank you for your part in that you know how to find us uh you can call us you, you can text us too if you if you so desire 224888 geek which john is
0: oh, no. 4335
1: yes and you can find us in our forums at slash forums a uh, big revamp, actually, to the forum—not revamp, but but an update to the forums coming this week. Sort of a, a featured update, so which is good. You know, keep, we like to keep things uh, fresh and up to date and all that good stuff. So, uh, so check us out there. Our thanks to Cashfly at cashfly.com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Of course, thanks to all of our sponsors. We had LinkedIn at LinkedIn or LinkedIn jobs at LinkedIn.com slash MGG, expander at TextExpander.com slash podcast. We had Barebones Software at Barebones.com. Of course, in our podcast marketplace, we have Otherworld Computing, right? We have Ops Genie, we have Eero. It's all very good. Very, very lucky, all of us. It's pretty cool we get to do this. You know and, and John, we get to do this in harmony. and so I think that we should I know we've we've shared this sentiment throughout the episode echoing something that our listeners have said, but uh, maybe that's the best way to share this sentiment one last time through this episode.. Oh.